Political with John D. Clare was the best politics radio show in the Northeast. Right-wing trolls tried to bully the show out of existence. Socialist Think Tank is here to bring the show back to where it belongs. Enjoy Political Unmuted. Welcome to Political Unmuted, South Durham's premier live Facebook political discussion Tuesday night show. And sort of, um, and, and lest you think that that is um, sort of a minor achievement, last week we had the, 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 the show and the um, sort of uh, recording that follow that, that, that accompanied it had 1,300 views. So we must be doing something right. And, and uh, it is my absolute joy to welcome yet again the Dream Team. Um, the, if you look at the um, advert that I put on my um, uh, blog, I changed it because it sort of... Um, uh, it said political unmuted with John D. Clare, and and uh, sort of as time goes on, it becomes clear that these guys are the stars, and so I've upgraded <laughs> you. Sort of, I'm still first on the billing, but it's sort of now John D. Clare and the Dream Team, uh, sort of Freddie and the Dreamers, you know, Cliff Richard and the Shadows. It was sort of, it sort of won't be long before. <laughs> Before the dream team is going on its own, and we we, we play separate singing careers, and we'll see what happens. Um, so, and you, listener, are just so so welcome uh, because we've got some cracking stuff to talk about today. But first of all, let's welcome the team. Stuart, hello, back from holiday. I am. Where did you go? I went over to the lakes. Lots of walking. Indeed. Didn't take the dog though. Didn't take the dog. Oh. Missed so opportunity. About him worrying sheep, or just because he wanted a break from the dog? Didn't think about it, honestly. Well, I don't think it was even my decision. That's a, most things are not my decision. Um, but, ah, now I watch out, Stuart. However, because while you were away, we all know that you have a fan club. Oh. While you were away. Samantha, you moved into Premier, um, sort of, we, we, we all love Samantha, sort of everybody agrees that you um, sort of are a force of nature, you've got your little fan club out there, and, 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 and sort of no doubt they'll all sort of cosy up to you on the, um, on the, the chat, you can comment people, uh, we have the, you go to the socialist tank, think tank you should be there anyway and sort of you can make comments about what people are saying and after the show in the chill out zone um we, we sit around and we discuss um what you've said so no doubt people will be saying nice things about you so you've got sort of some amazing news uh, some, some sad news bad news i've seen and and and, and some exciting news and uh, so that um sort of have you got anything you want to tell us about that you're not going to take as your um uh, moment of the week are you talking about me having to close down my shop? That was heartbreaking. Uh, yes. So uh, I run a non-profit organisation. Um, what we do is we hire out things that people might need for young babies, encourage them to live in a, in a sustainable and safe way. So our two main things that we hire out are slings and baby carriers um, and cloth nappies. Um, and we've done so well over this over the last sort of seven years um, that we got to the position where we actually had a shop in Newcastle. Um, it was a bit of a bit of a, a you know it was underneath a railway arch, so you know it was very uh, much we earned enough to keep the doors open. Yeah. We didn't have staff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but unfortunately. 
um, the pandemic um, uh, has hit us. So um, we got the £10,000 from the government to start with, which was great. And we also got some um, some grace from our landlord, which is also great. Um, but it's now to the point where we have to pay our rent again and we couldn't say for certain we were going to hit our overheads. Uh, so we had to go to our landlords and say, um, and they were very kind to us actually, because our, our notice period was meant to be six months um, and that would have bankrupted us. So they were kind enough to give us a, a month and to, to clear our stuff out. And um, so now we've got enough money to tread water for a little bit with our stock in storage to see how things go. Um, so it is very sad for us. <laughs> Next thing, you've developed um, a relationship with alcohol, I see. Um. <laughs> well, fo football, anyway. <laughs> Um, you, you're talking about me going to children football. I'm talking about you getting pie-eyed at the football match. We all saw it on Facebook. Don't <laughs> deny it for a moment. So oh, I'm sorry, no, no you, you missed your chance to deny it. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. The other thing yeah. is, is I went to a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> talking about football, yeah. Are you prepared to tell us about where a red card is coming into your life? Okay, so I mean, I don't know yet. I've just applied for the job. I might not get the interview yet, um, but I've applied for a job with Show Racism, a red card, um, which is obviously a fantastic organisation. Uh, I'm an ex-teacher, so in theory, I would be a really good fit, especially since I'm like so into anti-racism activism. Um, so yes, fingers crossed. Well, um, just turn I drunk to the interview and you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> Laura, hello. Hello. <laughs> good news for us? Um, Obviously not. <laughs> it's all bit Groundhog Day. I have no bad news. Does that count? Good, good, good. Also, my, my fan base um, just messaged me privately. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well done, Paul. Oh my uh, God, Laura, <laughs> stop thinking about you. At least we hope it's Paul. And uh, finally, hiya, boss. How are you? Um, I'm okay, yeah. I, I don't have a fan base, so we're all right. Yes, no, no, no. The boss, everybody hates you. Just learn to live with it. Okay, <laughs> and now it's time for... They're becoming far too professional. People like the kind of amateurishness of it. That's what attracts them, sort of. But um, moment of the week. Um, I'm going to start with Laura. Uh, my moment of the week this week is going to be short and quick, John. <laughs> Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> and the Sigh of relief. So it's actually an amalgamation of two moments of the week. This weekend, I actually went out and socialised for the first time in months. Um, initially with some work colleagues who I hadn't seen for a long time. And then with some friends who came up to see us. Um, it was just so lovely. It was almost like being back to normal, but in a better way, because it was all very careful and socially distanced and all of that. But it was also just nice to see people it's all exciting and we had a lovely time the hangover was totally worth it um so yeah that was my moment of the week this week something different I had, I had two meetings this week with human beings this weekend wow. sort of one I was on the television and so I had to you know sort of work with the um presenter and and and, and sort of again socially distanced and all the rest and then I was at um uh, an extinction rebellion rally on the Sunday. And oh, wow. did you find that you were scared to yes. go back to meet other people? I was, I found it just, yeah. instead of getting COVID, I was just scared of meeting them, nervous. Yeah. The thing is, I'm a, I'm a hugger, like a massive hugger. I'll hug people I barely know. So it's really difficult to sort of just be like, hi, how are you doing to people like I genuinely love? <laughs> I was like, Hello. <laughs> and I'm, I just I'm wanted to hug them. I shall force myself to walk towards, walk towards this person and talk to them. Look them in the eye. Try and look them in the eye. They like, they like you to look them in the eye. It was, yeah. It's dreadful. It's, sort of great. it's great to see um, things beginning to get going carefully. Um, 
Stuart. Oh, uh, I was going to talk about my lovely holiday with my lovely family. Uh, but since I've already mentioned that, I'll talk about uh, Boris and his trip to Apple Cross. That was pretty funny, wasn't it? Go, going, setting up uh, his tent on a hill on somebody's land where he didn't ask permission. And he borrowed two dining chairs to climb their fence and set a fire. And then when the, you know, the landowner come out to give him a, a telling off, he made a run for it, jumped the fence and left his aides to clean up his tent. So that, that's how you holiday. Do you, I mean, <laughs> what sort of his fiance, there's photographs of him and his fiance on their camping holiday. And they're saying the shadows are all wrong, but she's being photoshopped in. I mean, do you think that that's, so do you think he was on holiday with his fiance? Uh, I think the opportunity to go on holiday is maybe something that's been organized. I don't believe in all the conspiracy stuff of, you know, the deep fakes of going on holiday in a tent. But I think we're getting to a point where Boris Johnson's normal is so weird that the conspiracy seems far more likely. Thank you. Um, Paul. Um, I'm going to go for the confusion in education and the, the probable U-turns around face masks. Um, I don't know whether that's confirmed yet, but earlier on today there was a big discussion around uh, them doing a U-turn on face masks because, see, I'm not sure if you know about this, but in the government guidance, it is an implied force field around schools which repels COVID. So the only people who it's possible to catch COVID from in a school is a teacher because the teachers are going around coughing on each other's faces and things and, and they're, the, they're the bad guys. So that actually came out from, the, from uh, Public Health England, um, one of its final acts, I believe, uh, blamed teachers for any transmission in schools. We've also got a study from, um, from June which said, well, you know, we've, we've looked into schools and there's very little transmission going on in schools. Well, they were like partially shut in June. So it's not really a like for like comparison about what's going to be in September. But we're all going back until today. It didn't look like we we're going to be wearing face masks. And then there's been a big outbreak in Dundee. Uh, 27 people, I believe, infected with COVID in a, in, in a single school. Um, which has made people think, oh, you know how we didn't used to think face masks were important, but now we do think they're important. And you have to wear them everywhere, apart from the magical school, which will repel COVID just by being a school. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where we are at the moment. So I'm due, in, I'm due to go back. I didn't have the, the social anxiety about meeting other people because I've been in schools anyway, um, meeting up with colleagues and students and you know I didn't have that same level of social anxiety that other people might have because I haven't been away from people as long but uh, yeah back next week we don't really know what's happening and I kind of wish the government would just say we know it's really risky we think it's worth taking the risk rather than saying no no schools are fine don't worry about schools it's impossible it's almost like the saying it's impossible to catch catch it in schools and if you do catch it it's either the head teachers or your own fault Children's, children aren't going to give it to you. And it's just, we all know this is really, really silly. And it feels like we're being not told the truth and not treated like sensible adults. The quote of the week for me, Paul, was the, the person who said that um, you don't need to worry about catching um, COVID in schools because there's just contact. There's just contact in schools. As though that isn't how you catch it. Finally, Sam. <laughs> um, yes. Um, I'm going to, you see, the power's gone. Sorry, pause, 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 because we just need to wait for the cheer from your fan base. Now <laughs> right, continue. Yes, you can continue. I'm going to say the power's gone to my head. I'm throwing all the rules out and I'm going to follow on from what Stuart said um, about this, this holiday that Boris Johnson has had. Uh, I'm still in a Facebook group with my um, ex-MP and <laughs> she put up, she said, is Boris really camping? Because 
she knows more than any of us how, what he's really like in real life. And it was just the most bizarre idea that this man would go camping. It's the most un-Boris Johnson thing in the world. Um, but it's funny, isn't it? Because we are in a, a rise of, um, there's loads of conspiracy theories at the moment. And there were loads of conspiracy theories about this holiday that he was photoshopped in. I'm not saying there are, I don't know. Um, that he was actually in rehab was one. Uh, that he was on a Russian oligarch's boat is another one they're talking about in the comments there. I think if there's any time to go missing, uh, this is not the time. Because now there are about 15 alternate storylines about what happened while he was away um so um yes Anne's put Helen Goodman angry face yes she is an actual human being that still continues to exist even though she's not an MP um but yet um he also as we've just covered I am an expert in slings and baby carriers and yes, um, I saw this I saw this <laughs> I knew you were gonna mention this <laughs> and he used a baby carrier uh, very badly and um, so I am happy, I am happy that the Prime Minister used a baby carrier, um, even if he did just put it on for a photograph, which is what I suspect, because being an expert in slings and baby carriers, <laughs> I know that if he used that sling tied to him in that way for longer than about 20 minutes, he would have serious back pain. <laughs> um, everything was far too loose and wonky, but... Um, Basically, this caused a huge storm and a hiccup in all of the uh, Sling and Baby Courier groups on Facebook because lots of people put a picture up and went, oh my goodness, look at him. He needs my professional support, which he obviously does. Um, but uh, then other people were like, oh no, we must be kind and we must not judge people because it makes us look like a bunch of snobs, which it probably does. But... I object to being told to be kind to Boris Johnson. I'm happy to refrain from being unkind to him. I am happy to pretend he doesn't exist and walk away. But do not tell me to be kind to somebody because that is the language of female oppression, actually. We're always told to be kind to people who are nasty to us. And there's a point where it's all right not to be kind to somebody who is actually abusing you. And I. So no, so I got quite angry at that and that's my Facebook outpouring <laughs> that happened uh, that people may have seen. Um, so yes, very good that he's wearing a, using a baby carrier. Um, it would have been nice if he'd sought some professional advice. Uh, unfortunately, he can't come to my shop anymore because it's closed. <laughs> sort of, you know, Isn't it his fourth holiday since it's been here? He's definitely had a lot more is, holiday. Did is, you see the Gavin Williamson tweet? What, what? Yeah, I'm oh, just saying, is it is is it his fourth holiday since since being prime minister? I read that somewhere. He's had he's two certainly since since like COVID crisis, and he was on one when it began. So he's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah. Goes on quite a few holidays. Well, that's yeah, probably um, yeah, part of um, conspiracy theory, isn't it? That sort of. Um, He's going to resign in six months because he didn't actually think being prime minister would involve work. And sort of really what he just wants to do is the party. He thought it would just be sort of a big party and he could leave the country to get on with it. So um, I don't know. We'll find out. Right. Thank you very much for your moments of the week, everybody. Um, and um, no, uh, Sam, you don't have to be uh, kind to Boris Johnson. Um, uh, but now. Now it's time for the big story. Sam, what did Louis, Louise Casey decide she no longer wanted to bring home? Oh, no, I've not done my homework. Again? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Casey was the um, government's advisor on homelessness. Right. And um, they made her, um, they put her into the House of Lords anyway, um, to sort of, to give her the basis for um, her work looking after homelessness. And uh, she's been there a few weeks 
and she's declared that um, actually she doesn't want to do homelessness, she wants to be a lord. And so she's resigned from the homelessness and people are saying that this is a huge disaster um, and that they're all getting very worried about homelessness. Sam, is, um, is homelessness a big thing that we need to worry about? Yes, and it's totally unnecessary. Um, most of you, like me, have, have done the old door-knocking circuit, and I'm sure you, like me, have walked down streets which are literally empty. Um, there are lots of them. There's plenty of space to house people. Um, there's plenty of fields with masses of planning permission on where we can have housing. Just They just need to be built. All the planning permissions approved. Um, so the fact that we have homelessness, it's like the food waste situation, you know, the fact that we've got people going hungry when 25% of our food is going to landfill or being disposed of is a disgrace. And it shows that there's enough food, there's enough to go around, it's just distributed incorrectly. And it's in distributed incorrectly because it's down to uh, a profit motive. Um, what we need to, I was talking to people about homelessness during COVID today um, because there's been this, this up and down about whether we're going to continue to ban um, evictions. Um, and I said, actually, what you've got to take one step back and look at is the fact that when we've got a pandemic, it's a social good. It's good for everybody, for people to have somewhere they can wash their hands and go to bed if they are ill. Uh, it does no good to our our health of our community for those people to be on the streets or put in a, an accommodation where they're sharing a bathroom with other people. Um, so we have to look at those things uh, from a pragmatic point of view rather than an emotional point of view. Unfortunately, because of the crash in 2018, there are lots of people who are in a position where they have got a house that they don't necessarily want. Maybe a parent died or maybe a marriage uh, split up or something. They've got a house that they don't actually want that they can't sell because it's worth a lot less now than it was when they bought it. Um, and those people end up being reluctant landlords. And unfortunately, a lot of these people are the types of people who are being burned by this uh, ban on evictions. Um, and the reason we've got these people with up and down lifestyles, maybe they, maybe they have got personal issues um, and, and they're relying on these private landlords is because we don't have a functioning social housing system. If we had a functioning social housing system, that would be a really good start. We need council houses for these people. Stop, stop Sam, just to say. Talk to me about that sentence, we don't have a functioning social housing system. I mean, we yeah. have housing associations, um, yeah. sort of, so why, do, sort of, how is that not a, so, a functioning social housing system? So, it's very, the, the waiting list for the um, housing associations tend to be quite difficult to get onto. You've got to be a certain level of, of need to have a chance of getting into a getting into a, a housing association property uh, and that's quite difficult here but if you look at other places um, specifically down south the money you get through housing benefit which is supposed to marketize the social housing system so that uh, you know everybody gets a good deal <laughs> um, it means that people can't afford to pay the rent with the benefits they're given to pay their rent so a lot of people we've got um we get people from different parts of the country moving to the northeast because the rent here is cheaper but we don't and they then go into private accommodation with their housing benefit and we don't have the infrastructure to support them and and those are the types of people who maybe churn they they're in a property for six months um, and things go wrong and then they move on. And those are the types of tenants that really cause private um, landlords a lot of trouble. Stuart, how worried are you about, um, I mean, the worry is, is that we, we put homeless people into hotels, into bed and breakfast, and we found them a place somehow, 
Um, there's been money to do so. The money is finishing. Um, now, um, how worried are you about an explosion? And a costly, and sort of there's 320,000 evictions stacked up now, just waiting to go ahead. Um, so they're the, the, the terrified um, that they sort of, that's why they extend it for the extra month, isn't it? They're terrified that this is just going to explode. I mean, how worried are you, or do you think that those fears will... Um, I'm not... really worried that we're going to backtrack, because we've got a, a really good opportunity now to, to, to change things, because COVID has forced our hand as a society to make changes, to get people into places where they can live. And if we wanted, you know, if there was the drive for it in government, we could begin a system of rehoming them properly in social housing, you know, it wouldn't be an overnight thing. It would take incredible investment, but it's our best opportunity that we've had in a decade to do it. It's the best starting point. It's like a fresh start almost. And if we just, you know, cut all support and people go back on the streets and most homeless people, you know, have extra needs if they're actually on the streets. Uh, there's the invisible homeless where it's couch surfing. Uh, and that is clearly not something that's good for a COVID environment. Uh, you know, we've, we've got this opportunity and it would be, you know, such a shame to waste it. Paul? Um, I don't think the government particularly have any intention of solving this crisis long term. Um, we've seen this government consistently vote for... Um, more rights for, for landlords. Um, so they voted at one point to make sure that um, landlords had no obligation to make their homes habitable for humans. Um, you know, so they've managed to show that it's possible, but long-term, I don't think the desire will be there to, and we're about to see a lot of people fall off a cliff of homelessness and, um, there's going to be so many in that really, really challenging situation. And I don't believe the help will be there for them. I believe we're about to see a really, really huge crisis. And what comes with that as well is like, you know, all the other issues to do with homelessness. So, um, you know, people living on the streets and, and not necessarily just on the streets, as Stuart was saying. But then there's all the other social impacts of that. And then there's children being brought up in an unstable home, um, you know, through no fault of their parents because some of them will have just lost the jobs. Um, but again, I find that people who get very annoyed at the idea of helping homeless people also seem to get annoyed about like everything else. And they, there's a lot of anger directed at people who don't have very much at the powerless at the moment. And there's not very much anger being directed at the powerful. And uh, that's the wrong situation to have. But we should be demanding our government um, create social housing long term. If something like this had happened, they could have just cancelled rent for a, for a short time. It would have saved them money. But instead, you've got like uh, private landlords who continue to pick it up. And then they're going to have to, they're going to, have to evict people. You know, our very own MP is the biggest landlord in... Um, in the whole of Parliament, so um, you know he's in a position. I don't. I, I don't. I'm not saying he's going to evict anyone, but it shows that people who were in Parliament, they have such an array of landlords there, such a huge number of landlords that they really are in favour of the landlord. This isn't a criticism of all landlords, by the way. This is just saying that they are far, far, far over overrepresented. And they'll look after their own interests before they'll look after the interests of the people. I think that, um, I mean, I get uh, a lot more complaints of landlords about the difficulties of their situation than I do from um, homeless people and people in danger of homelessness about the problems of their situation. Um, sort of, uh, the, it's like uh, Samantha says, some of these um, uh, landlords, they ended up as landlords through no fault of their own. And uh, sort of, and now they're, they're sort of um, trapped with a bad tenant and uh, sort of, it's as bad for them as it is for the, the tenants. It's sort of the fault is not wholly on one side. 
Um, and sort of, I mean, do you see, I mean, is there an alternative to the, the sort of, um, I mean, sort of, I mean, would you just uh, make all housing social and uh, social housing? Is it is it the the very nature of a private of, of private landlords? I mean, the the system depends on private landlords. How are you going to end that problem? Cope with that problem of of having um, more than fifty percent of the the housing market private landlords? What are you going to do about it? Um, well, I've been. Uh, <laughs> I've been reading a book called uh, Capital and Ideology by Thomas Piketty, and um, it's all about like it's the historical side of it. And we've seen this change over time. We've seen the amount of the proportion of of um, of land and, and houses owned by like at one stage the church were were a major owner. Um, you know, in the fifties and sixties, we were, but you know, the state owned a lot of a, a lot of council housing. I think you've got to give, like, I think you, there's always going to be a balance, isn't there, between private ownership. But as long as there's always somewhere for someone, someone to stay, there should be always somewhere for someone to stay. You know, that's surely that, surely living a decent life is the very, very bare minimum we can expect the government to want for its people. Laura finishes off here with a, a statement from the heart, which I'm sure mm -hmm. we can next. <laughs> Well, yes, as usual. I'm not as angry today, though. So, <laughs> um, it, I'd like to touch on a few points that that everybody has made um, so far. Um, starting with Samantha, who said, you know, there there's enough food to go around. Um, there's, we have enough wealth to go around. We've proven, the government have proven that there's no need for homelessness. In a matter of weeks, they managed to house 15,000 people in this country who were homeless. Um, in the blink of an eye almost that shows me that it's always been possible they have just made a political decision that those people were not worthy of housing um, and that wasn't one of their priorities I believe it's absolutely a priority that everybody should have a roof over their heads and everybody should be able to feel safe as a basic human right um, and as a government they should be able to provide that, that and that should be absolutely a priority for them um, what Stuart was talking about with the sofa surfing, um, you know, they are the hidden homeless. They're not going to show up on any statistics, but they are homeless people. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have their own place. Um, and that's been going on for a long time, not just through COVID, but I, I guarantee there'll be a hell of a lot more people who are now with friends and family because of the furlough scheme or because they've been made... Um, redundant during COVID so they have no income and have hacked and have been forced to take their families to, to other families and friends. Um, I'd be interested to see if we could find those statistics but unfortunately it's not going to happen um, and I don't think the government would give you much time on that conversation. I don't think that would suit their purpose because they want to show that they're doing a good job so why would they count those in their numbers? Um, also, the temporary eviction ban was due to end last Sunday, but they've ex they, they're trying to be kind and they've extended that a month. I don't think we're going to see the impact of what COVID in terms of the financial impact that's had on people because some people do have savings. Most people I know are living paycheck to paycheck, but I don't think one more month is going to be enough to really show the severity of what's been happening during COVID. And I think it's only gonna get worse from here. And I agree with Paul that nobody should be homeless. We have the ability to house people. We just need the care and the interest in doing it. Thank you so very much. Um, brilliant, everybody, thank you. A, a really worrying problem. Um, this is the time when we normally have a listener guest prob, uh, question. And the idea is, is that a listener comes onto the show, asks a question, and we talk about it, and they, they join in. Um, but um, for the second week running, we've got nobody asked us a, a, a listener question. 
And so I would, but I, I, I would urge anybody who's listening who wants to, to suggest a question to any show, it may be something that isn't in the news particularly, but is a particular beef of yours, and we're happy to chat about it. Um, and sort of it's part of the interaction which we would wish to um, encourage uh, for the show. So um, we, I put up the questions, uh, the possible questions and the, the, the poll on questions, you know, on a Friday, just shove your idea there and let's have you on the show and, and asking about it. But today we just move straight on, I'm afraid, uh, to... Paul. Um, breaking news, face, covers, face coverings to be mandatory in England schools. Oh, wow. Oh, my Amazing. God. Secondary schools. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I've um, had headline flashed up on, the, on my phone, which I use for my notes, but yeah. Um, so that's just happened. Did so comment, if you'd like to I'd, drop any links, that'd be great. I don't know how many uh, U-turns that is, but um, secondary pupils in England will have to wear masks in school corridors in local lockdown areas, or oh, after the government reversed its guidance. Just in local I don't know lockdown what, areas? That's what it says. Um, so it follows updated advice from the World Health Organization. All right, okay. Okay, who said masks should be used from, from the beginning. Oh, it's, it's new advice. We hadn't read it before. It's been there for months, but it's new to us. So, I just yeah. really feel sorry for all of the school leadership teams who are now going to have to rewrite tons and tons of risk assessments they've been running over over, over the whole summer. Like, <laughs> and provide them for people who can't afford them as well. You know, are, are you going to go for a standard one, or are, yeah. are there certain logos going to be banned and things? You know, it, it, it's it's a bit of a minefield. You've number nine. Sorry, Stuart. <laughs> is that number nine, is it? That's nine in, in eight months. Mm. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> Stuart, do you think that these U-turns are losing the government credibility? Or do you think people are just saying, well, this just shows a, a government that's flexible to a changing situation? Did it ever have that credibility? Well, not with us, but... Ah... <laughs> I remember because when I first understanding what politics was, like a U-turn was a big deal. That was a black mark. You know, a government might not recover from a massive U-turn, but somehow Boris's government recovers from eight and now nine. Yeah. Oh. I, 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 I think that these are chipping away. And we'll have to wait and see. Right, anyway, um, uh, the other stories um, sort of... Um, we got a good listen to Laura's drumming again, and it brings us into our final two stories of the evening. Um, depression has doubled during the pandemic. Uh, Laura, tell us all about it. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's been quite a few research studies done recently about, um, I think the ones I've been reading anyway, it was studies, studies on depression anyway, and then they've had to factor in the difference that COVID and the pandemic and lockdown in particular is the impact that's had on depression. And uh, they found that it's predominantly, well, it's affected most people in one way or another. Um, but it is doubled in um, women, in um, people with disabilities, um, and especially young people as well. Um, so it's it's something that's sort of been ongoing and i think they've the 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 researchers who've, who've carried out this research have been to the government um to sort of display this evidence say this is what's happening to people and and there's an argument there that um and i have read some research um from some medical professionals who've said that depression can be one of the symptoms of covid even if you've got nothing else um you you could fall down with depression basically as a result of covid um it's all for me i mean I'm, I'm not a medical professional i'm not a politician and as usual john i can give you my considered opinion <laughs> but also from a from a personal point of view and and you know i'm i'm quite open with 
the things that I go through. I think if you are open and transparent with people, then it can sometimes benefit other people. I've really struggled during lockdown, um, even to the point where I've, you know, I've had to go and speak to a medical professional about how difficult I've been finding things. And I found that incredibly hard to do. And I'm someone who understands that it's okay to talk about when you're feeling down, it's fine to feel down. Um, but that took me weeks and weeks of building myself up to get to the doctors and actually have a conversation with somebody. So for me, the fact that um, these scientists are coming up with um, the idea that the, the depression statistics have doubled, I actually think it might be higher. I think you'll find a lot of people who are just unwilling to talk about it because, again, we do still have that stigmatism around depression and anxiety and mental health issues where people just feel lesser of a person if they talk about it and we do have a long way to go to normalize that I um, went, to, my, I went to, to have my hair done I went to have my hair done um, it looks fantastic to, by the way going on, on the, thank you yes going on the television uh, I went on the television you know and uh, prior to that I went to have my hair done and my um, hairdresser is a, a crusty old man God bless him. Uh, I've been going to him for about 20 years. And, and, um, and, and oh, he's very, you know, he's, he's your typical old man hairdresser. And I'll tell you what we need to do about this, you know. And, 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 and he's very aggressive in his, in his ways. And he was talking to me. Um, and um, I, I sort of, and I was, I was saying that I'd lost confidence during the, the, the lockdown. And he, he suddenly comes out, he says, mental health, Johnny says, mental health. He says, you know, in our day, in the olden days, um, you just sort of, you said people were mad. People went mad and sort of you locked him up. But now he says he's been much more sophisticated now. This is this hairdresser, this really sort of crusty old man, grumpy old man. And, and he says, um, in mental health now, we, we, there's a whole load of other things come into that. Sort of worries and um, concerns and feelings of insecurity and just not being happy. And he says, and we have a much, <laughs> schooling me on mental health, and he says, we have a much greater understanding now of these things than we ever used to do. And he says, it's a great concern. And I thought, well, my golly, the world, the world has opened its eyes to this. If, 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 uh, my hairdresser, and then he said his name, if my hairdresser is beginning to realise this, I mean, Stuart, do you think that there's been a change in attitude because of um, towards mental health issues because of coronavirus? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen increased, you know, mental health issues over the last few months. I've, you know, seen it personally. But I don't think people are, be, you know, becoming more accepting of it because of coronavirus. I think it was already there. I haven't seen it. A practical change, no. Um, sort of, Paul. Um, what sort of? If there has been a doubling of depression, what is the way out of this? Then, did you sort of? I mean, have any recommendations to make here? Um, I would. I would say it would help everyone's mental health if we weren't being uh, gaslit all the time. <laughs> by um by our leaders i think that would be um that would be quite a useful thing for our mental health because i feel throughout this entire crisis we've been told that they've they've said you know oh, oh no no we're going for herd immunity we didn't say that why are you talking about herd immunity well because you said it in in in, a, in that briefing no we didn't no we didn't that's you what's wrong with you so we're is this and the system's gone along the whole way, you know, where we've been gaslit, and I think that really can affect your mental health because, like, how frustrating was? I know it's sort of funny that Dominic Cummins said that he was going for an eye test, but do you me? Like the, the the impunity with which they'll say these things, you know, that really affects your mental health. Yeah, he's got away with that. He's got away with that. That actually really, really affects my mental health oh, personally. That, I mean, one thing I've noticed about social media is the increase in one, aggression, and two, just the craziest talk. 
people saying sort of stupid things in this kind of, right there, what are you going to do with that? I've said it now. Um, so that I'm seeing uh, UFO stories, moon conspiracies. I mean, the, the, it's just, uh, and, and, and I've got to be careful with my language here, haven't I? But it's, it's just as though social media has collectively, and I'm wanting to say things like lost its mind, gone mad. And I do understand that, the, the, the impropriety of saying things like that. But sort of, do you find a, a collective um, hysteria almost on social media? And do you think that this, um, that this is linked to it? Or do you think I'm just making that up? There's, um, there's, there's an issue with, um, with remoteness. I, I believe that remoteness causes problems. So if you look at any, and it seems a little bit abstract, but if you look at any situation in warfare, I think it's around 15% of casualties are not remote, close up. So when you can see your enemy and then when, but actually when you're miles away, when you fire a mortar over or you're firing a cruise missile or you're dropping a nuclear bomb, you just disassociate from the fact that this is, these are human beings. And on a close-up, people will deliberately miss. There is research that says that people in wars will deliberately miss their enemy because they don't want to murder another human. That's how they feel. Even if they feel that that person's their, their enemy, there's something within them that says, actually, that's, that's my brother, that's my sister. You know, I'm not going to shoot at them. I think there's a similar thing happening with social media where like people will, if they were, in, if they were saying things to your face, they probably wouldn't say them but then they will just say anything at all without fear of repercussion, without fear of someone saying, hey, tell you what that really hurt feelings or without the fear of being smacked in the face or anything like that. And I think that's what's going on with social media, that, that remoteness. Do you not think it's got worth during the, the lockdown? And I'd be really... Yeah, I do. I do. And I think that's all part of it, isn't it? It's part of the remoteness. So we've never been as remote. So the people we're speaking to on social media, we might have to face them tomorrow at work. But then you don't have to face them tomorrow. You don't have to face them all. You, you don't know when you're next going to have to face these people. So people are just saying any old thing. And then they're like, yeah, well, I quite like that. I quite like saying this. I'm going to say this this one. I'm going to say these horrible things. I know like Samantha's been a, a big victim of, of people just, I think some of the people who do it to you wouldn't, would do it anyway. But, you know, I think there are some people who possibly aren't condemning it because they don't have to face other people. They don't have to, they've got nothing to hold their heads high for. You see, the exact opposite's happening with my wife, Barbara, because I keep, she, she keeps saying, I saw this thing on social media, so I told her. And I said, oh, Barbara, you have to. And you just, so, then, so she's going around causing all these rows. <laughs> all over Facebook, <laughs> confronting people who are saying things you cross about. Oh, Barbara, just keep your head down, love. Um, Sam, let's drag it back down, back to the, the concept of depression and the lockdown. What is the solution? Um, I mean, I mentioned this last year. We, we need to look at um, last year. <laughs> it feels like a year. It was only a week ago. <laughs> um, we need to look at the, the welfare economy and how our economy and our society is designed to uh, be good for people and not just be good for people who want to make money. Is that Laura wanting to talk? Yeah. Uh, no, I can wait for you to finish. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> it's like, oh, yes. It was, a, it was a very powerful gesture. Yeah, like, it was powerful. <laughs> I couldn't miss that. Um, <laughs> that, that that's it, you know. Um, we talk, we've talked about homelessness. I've talked about food waste. We're talking about really basic needs that people uh, have to have met. Tony in the comments said, uh, when we were talking about mental health during lockdown, he was saying he, he felt uh, a bit embarrassed to say that he'd actually enjoyed lockdown and then my friend um was it julie said it helps if you've got a job it helps if you've got the basic money coming in and that's really you know we've been able to be all right in my house because our income hasn't changed but a lot of people's income has changed and obviously wondering about whether you're going to be able to afford your rent or your shopping has a massive effect on your mental health so these are the basic needs people people need um and um derwent side mind is it derwent side mind a mind shop 
is, is closed. So that there are lots of places, Stephen Blessham said earlier, that he thought that places that supported vulnerable children and parents should be supported through this. And non-profits that support people with mental health should be supported through this you know my organization and mind are the types of organizations that you would hope the government would support so that we can support other people so that we can get through this um with some cohesive mental health um so that that's it really laura <laughs> laura thank you <laughs> I mean, God, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with what Samantha's saying there. The, app, the government should absolutely support people and businesses who are trying to do that. In the meantime, while we're waiting for the government to get the finger out of the backside and actually do something, um, what I found really helped me is just find your people. Find the mm. people who, who get what you're going through. And trust me, there are thousands of them. Until you start talking to people or you don't know, the amount of mams who have tried to work from home with small children at home who just are looking for an outlet, looking for somebody to go, oh my God, I can't do this. And to know that that feeling is completely normal. There are thousands Find your people, talk to people, bounce ideas off each other, even if it's just having a bit of a rant. It really, it really, really does help. And John, like you, I was suffering massively with my confidence throughout lockdown. I didn't dare speak to people. Zoom calls became a problem for me. The idea of doing this tonight just was just a complete no-go. But I mean, obviously I have the support of a wonderful husband and a, a gorgeous family. But you, you do need to find the people who are struggling with the same things you are just to make you feel a little bit normal and to understand that actually what you're going through is okay. Um, so I would suggest people talk to their friends and, yeah. and feel heard. Um, uh, the number of, just before I bring you in, Paul, um, the number of young mothers that I, as I just scan down and, and sort of the, the, the phrase, I had a complete meltdown today. Yeah. Just re a word similar, just occur again and again and again. And I think a lot of it's because it's just going on and on and on and on. It isn't a crisis. Then we get through the crisis. It just stretches out into the distance. And, and yeah. it, so, so how long I, so can I stand this pain? Uh, Paul, just briefly, please, and then I'll bring it to an end. We are running out of time. Just to link it back in with education again, I've done this quite a lot today. There was a study that also went out that said um, teenagers have had their mental health issues reduced. Um, so what in the world are we doing to them in our schools if this crazy situation has been better for teenagers according to this study, which is only one study, we can't necessarily generalise from it, but you know that, that's a real worry for me, that teenagers have been doing better under these conditions because I can only assume that the, the exam system, the system, you know, that's, that's caused so much problems, so many problems lately, um, is causing people this deep amount of anxiety. People aren't really enjoying the learning. People aren't enjoying going to school. Um, and, you know, a lot of people do, and schools do a great job. But, dear me, if they're finding this better, I that. I'm going. Uh, I absolutely agree. One of the one of the things I used to say when I was teaching, and I don't teach anymore, as you know, but sort of, um, sort of for many children, school is the place where they are really loved, and uh, sort of uh, the it's a caring environment, and it's it sort of you should leave school having been happy. Right now, last thing is, how much do we need to worry about migrants in dinghies? And it's your topic is this, Paul. If you can lead off, that would be great. Thanks. Okay, so there's a lot of um, there's a there's a it's been this has been going for years, hasn't it? Like there's years and years. If you go back through the Daily Mail, or the Daily Express, or anything like that, so they've got like the old this morning map where they used to, you know, that's how big Britain is. It's like you know you can fit eight people on, um, and Britain is a soft touch apparently. So. Um, because we, we're such a soft, soft touch and because our borders are so open, people decide to come here on a raft made out of, out of plastic bottles. Um, so, 
the point I'm trying to make is here that people are making this huge deal about a number of people who are absolutely desperate trying to come to this country to claim asylum. Perhaps they've been fleeing other wars, uh, sorry, wars from around the world, some of which uh, our country might be involved in. Um, and they might not be safe there. And it, it really is a desperate act. And we're seeing this massive, massive worry as, as if this is the biggest problem our country faces, you know, wave after wave of, of people are coming here and they, they simultaneously are illegal immigrants, but also are claiming benefits somehow. And we don't know where they are, but they're definitely claiming benefits and using the NHS, even though they're not registered to do so. What, you said they're coming here seeking a safe place of safety. How do you deal with that argument? What do you say to that argument which says they've passed through um, half a dozen safe countries to get at Britain? If all they were seeking was a safe a place of safety, surely they would have stopped far short of Britain. How do you overcome that argument? Um, I think some places that... Countries will take a certain number of people on for a longer term, um, for a, in a in a longer term way, um, and some of the people who are travelling through, let's say France, for example, which is a safe country, or Italy, which is a safe country, relatively, they're travelling through those countries, but they might not be allowed to stay there. They might not be allowed to do that, or there may be a family connection, or you know what, these people might be coming over here because. Just like everyone who lives here who, who says that they're really, really proud of Britain and they think it's the best country in the world, maybe they do. Maybe they want to be here because, you know, they want to build a life. They think, you, you know, we've got such great people here. They want to build a life here. A lot of them speak English. A lot of them. Um, so th there was a big problem in Iraq with people who worked as translators for... Um, for British forces, American forces, speaking English, of course, for them. They had that, and then all of a sudden, these people may be seen as traitors. They may, they may not be safe once the, the military have gone. So they have to leave. They, so maybe they think, well, you know, the British will look after us. You know, I'd, I think ne to necessarily take it as this really negative thing that they want to come to Britain, I think that's kind of um, a bit contradictory when you're saying, oh, Britain's the best country in the world, and yet, well, why would you want to come here? Thank you, Paul. It's a bit of a strange argument. Um, what, uh, are you worried about being swamped by immigrants, illegal immigrants? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I think we should be proud about the amount of uh, migrants that find a home in Britain and make life in Britain. I mean, I would imagine a lot of the hysteria of illegal migrants is whipped up by the websites that claim that there's already a million here and, you know, they, they, they cost us £7,000 a year each. You know, all that, it's just, it's very hard. Like, I've never met an illegal immigrant in my life. I've never, never come across somebody who's been here illegally. You know, that's the, that has to mean something, especially around here. I mean, I get worried for them because um, part of the reason you've never met one is that a lot of them are sort of are being exploited in some way. Um, sort of the, the, the living in barracks um, and we're being put out to work as cheap labor um, and sort of they're being exploited. It's, it's being here illegally um, is... is um, sort of not a happy life for them at all and and for many of them it, it's amounts to slavery um laura one of the, the issues is uh, that is uh, i'm reading in the newspapers that this is a real achilles heel for the labor party that um sort of labor uh, immigration is something that loses labor votes i mean can you explain why that might be so and 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 is it true do you think well, I think the the reason it might be so is because the, well, number one, the media have never really particularly been on our side. 
Uh, two, Brexit caused a lot of division, um, a lot of discussion around immigration. It was one of the tools used to create a divide. Um, and notably in the Labour Party, there was a divide between pro-Brexit and pro-Remain, which somehow boiled down to immigration. It is always going to be an issue, whichever way you look at it, whichever side of the coin you're on. For me, though, the idea of migrants seeking refuge, which can I point out is not illegal. It's not illegal to look for refuge in a country. It's not illegal to seek asylum. There just aren't any safe legal passageways to get here to apply for it yet, which I find ridiculous. Now that is the nail on the head, isn't it? And that's why they have to risk their lives to dinghies because unlike other countries, we do not have places in France or, or in other countries where you can apply for asylum in Britain. You have to actually get to our shores. And, and sort of my point on that is that, and given that, when I learned that, that sort of, we are, those poor people who drown on the way, that's our damn fault. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Yeah, because they wouldn't have had to try if we'd have done what other countries done, uh, do and have a place where they can actually apply for asylum um, out with, uh, uh, on, on the European continent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the things about that, in keeping with the whole the Brexit argument and the, the whole idea around um, keep Britain sovereign and we're being sold this thing that we need to look after ourselves and the fact that people are dying and the way the media are portraying that, we saw the way they demonised the 16-year-old. And now they're saying, well, actually, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. You can get over that because he wasn't a kid. Um, Abdullah, hang on, what's his name? Oh, I'm going to try and get it right, sorry. Abdul Fatah Hamdala, I think his name was, the, the young man who drowned off Calais trying to get here, was actually 28, not 16. And the media are now trying to say, oh, well, he was 28. Uh, what does that matter? Does it matter what age you were? If you were desperate enough to get into a dinghy to try and find a place of safety, it doesn't matter if you were a child or if you were an old man, if you're a woman, it doesn't matter. He we should have been somebody, there. He was still somebody. Sweet. We're still a human. We should be humanists, Christians, humanists, whatever you want to be, people who basically care. And I thought Great Britain was based on that notion. And I'm starting to believe that maybe it's not. And that's better than we're a better nation than when that laughs at the fact that uh, in the Daily Mail comment section that somebody's Absolutely. Bring, Absolutely. Uh, bring this to a close, Samantha. The last word um, from you and then we close the show, believe it or not. Well, I mean, like, like the point that I made earlier, there's plenty of space to go around. There's plenty of hope. Um, plenty of houses uh, that are unoccupied in, in Shildon, speaking for Shildon, I know that for a fact. Um, you have to ask yourself, people who say, oh, you know, they've travelled through other uh, safe countries before they've come to us, you have to, you have to ask yourself, if you couldn't live in England anymore, would you go and live in Spain or France? Or would you try and get to um, America Please. or Australia? Because actually you look for common things like uh, where your family are and what language you speak and what culture you are familiar with. And the reason that people in other parts of the world are so familiar with our culture is because we were a colonial power for a, a lot of time and we exported our culture to the rest of the world. And that's part of the reason why a lot of people feel like this, you know, the streets of the UK are paved with gold because that's what we told them <laughs> when we went there. Um, so we need to take some responsibility for that um, because we we are in the situation we are with the wealth that we've got off the back of these people and their ancestors. And we need to look at the uh, global arms trade that we participate in, whether we personally bomb these countries in the Middle East, or whether they've just got a made in UK sticker on them, we are culpable and we need to look at the actions that we take that, that cause the, these problems and cause refugees. So both of those things are things that I would, I would point out. Um, 
but also the argument that you know why do they all come here is just a false argument it's a tiny 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 percentage of the world's refugee refugees that do come to the uk and most of the countries closer to the middle east take a lot more refugees than we do and they've got much less infrastructure and much less uh, means to look after people if they can we can i mean to quote the great Tony Benn, <laughs> if you can afford to hurt people, you can afford to help people. Uh, I always come back to that, and we certainly can. These people are not sponges. They are architects and doctors and nurses and teachers, and they can enrich our society. Um, like John alluded to earlier, the vast majority of illegal immigrants end up in some kind of... Um, modern slavery, they tend the cannabis farms, they, they uh, work for less than the minimum wage, they don't have access to the NHS and the way people think they do, they don't have access to any benefits, they don't have any rights at all, and um, they are used in um, the, the sex trade, you know, this is not, they are not living a rosy life and they definitely deserve our sympathy and empathy and help rather than anything else. Thank you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the Dream Team, you've delivered yet again, uh, just, I mean, awe of you. Thank you so much. I'm sure the listeners are as um, enlightened as I am. Um, the, uh, what happens now, we're going to play No Passeran, um, and then uh, we come back, uh, listener, to talk about, uh, have there, some have there been comments? They sound as though there have been some interesting ones. Yeah, there's been like hundreds of comments. Right, okay, well, we're going to come back after, for, for the chill out zone, which lasts about half an hour, and um, we're going to look at your comments, and um, uh, we'll be asking the, the team what they think of those. Samantha tends to take the lead in that, because she's the only person who can uh, sort of, what's it called, multitask. At least multitask. <laughs> so, um, Goodbye. If, if, if you're going now, God bless you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, see you next week. A fabulous show planned. Um, but um, sort of, you're welcome to stay uh, on for the chill out zone. And uh, sort of, um, just in case, uh, I got into trouble last week because uh, I, I said we, we just moved to the number and nobody got a chance to say goodbye to those people who are leaving. So, everybody, here's your chance to say goodbye to those people who are leaving. Goodbye. God bless. See you next week. Bye. And Bye. The red flag flying here